What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli. I am coming at you once again this time without my super-duper co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, who, as we were recording this, is wrapping up law school graduation. Good for him. Hopefully, he's enjoying it. Um, We're going to hit the Sixers postmortem finally today because there were some interesting rumors that were coming out of their exit interviews um, just before and, and over the weekend. Also today, um, a big news on the sports gambling front. And so this worked out really well because we have Chris Krause, of, a writer for CNBC, and he specializes in sports business and betting. He's also a staff writer for Hoops Rumors, and he's contributed to NBA Math in the past as well. He is no stranger to these parts. We had him on earlier in the season and the timing just worked out he wanted to talk sixers and and the sports gambling news dropped uh which is a a pretty big deal um as we'll get into before we really cannonball into everything though i just want to remind everyone implore everyone borderline beg everyone maybe even grovel to please continue rating reviewing and subscribing to us on itunes that is the best way you can help the podcast at this point it makes Andy's life when he sees the rating numbers go up or when he notices that someone else left a comment so that he can screenshot it to me and send it in our text message thread. Please continue to make his life and get on iTunes. If you do not use iTunes, we are officially, unequivocally, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcast, Google Play, iHeartRadio, should be on Spotify. I'm not sure if that was pushed through yet. Uh, Blog Talk, Spreaker, we're just, we're everywhere and anywhere, um, including Apple Podcasts. So just, you can find us however you like and, and make sure you do. Lastly, but not the least important of which, you can still get 15% off at the nbamath.com shop. That is nbamath.com slash shop, promo code Benno, B-E-N-O, should be easy enough for you to remember because Andy shouts him out pretty much all the time. But now... That the housekeeping notes are done and over with, we get to move on to the big question. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank, uh, thanks for having me, Dan. Um, so before we get into the Sixers, we've obviously got a lot to talk about um, with them there. Today, I believe the uh, exact terms were the Supreme Court or voted 7-2 to in favor of overturning the federal ban on sports gambling. So... We there are some states that have allowed it, but it's just like it's this huge domino effect now. I think there is like four or five states with laws already in place to really just capitalize off this ruling, and there are going to be twenty plus more that are just trying to get it done post haste. And I'm just wondering, though this seemed inevitable, are you kind of surprised at, at how it unfolded, or no? Were you just kind of expecting this from the jump? Uh, I was expecting it to come. Um, I was expecting it later in the month. Uh, but you know, a couple weeks early is, uh, is is no problem for anyone. 
Um, obviously, so many people in the gambling world and the sports world are, are very excited about the news. It's a, it's a really big day uh, for America and kind of gets us on track with the rest of the world that has uh, sports gambling already in place. It's it, it, People have gone back and forth with it, and I personally think everyone seems a little too excited for it. I, I think leagues should be allowed to capitalize off of sports gambling that – I do agree with, and there's been talk about, I believe they're called integrity fees and how that will work. Uh, Maybe every league gets like a dollar of every single bet that is placed on them. But the fact that it makes gambling more accessible to everyone, I don't, I'm not, is that a huge victory? It just seems like it makes it easier for people to lose money. And it's, you know, it's at their discretion, uh, but I don't know if this people are almost looking at this as with all the analytics out there, people will still be able to get an edge. That's just not the house is always going to come out on top. And so there's mixed reviews for me in that way. And also, if it becomes something that these leagues all of a sudden heavily promote and inundate us with. Yeah, well, the thing about the sports betting is a lot of it's used for to attract people to come to a certain place. Like casinos actually don't make that much money off of the sports gambling in comparison to like their other yeah their, their other games. I mean, they, they make a killing off of you know all the house games, table games, uh, even even uh, even poker as far as what they take as far as rake. Um, it's much less with the sports gambling because a lot of the money actually just floats from one person to the next. Um, now you do have you know professional gamblers and people who you know, understand how to bet and don't just bet on instinct and they bet on data and they bet with, um, with increased knowledge. And yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have uh, sharks versus minnows. And, uh, you know, you, the hope is that, you know, that, that people don't go just blindly bet, um, and hope that they're going to come away with winners and come away with extra income that, you know, they understand it's gambling. And, um, but yeah, it, it is a concern to have, uh, the extra, the, uh, the extra attention on gambling and have it have more people come through uh, to casinos and, and potentially throw away their money. It's and again, it's out of the responsibility of the person too. I know gambling can become an addiction, but at the same time, that the age limits in place, like we're all adults, the, the self restraint involved is just supposed to be incumbent um, upon adulthood. I, I for me, I think it's just I said before is if it comes to a point where. You can have an app that's like, and I'm not sure if Adam Silver talked about this. I don't want to be imagining it, but way back when, when he was talking about having an app that would allow uh, people to place in-game bets, like from the arena, uh, live these like parlays or these uh, prop bets. Excuse me, that's the word I was looking for. And that that to oh, me yeah. is just where it becomes that kind of being promoted by a league. That's just where I I wouldn't have a problem with, I guess. A sponsorship being sold to the jerseys. I, I just, when it comes to that level of promotion, that's really where the, the gray area exists and where things could become problematic, just to me. Yeah, and you're going to see that basically in all states that it becomes legal because, I mean, most of these states have sports franchises already. Now, once New Jersey, New Jersey is likely to be the first state to come about, and, the, you know, they're going to have the online platform, and then you're going to be able to go into MetLife and you're going to be able to bet on the Giants game while while you're actually watching the game. Um, you're going to be able to do the same with obviously Jets games. And in other states, you're going to be able to go into the arena and uh, place, place, wagering, place wagers on, on the team that's actually playing in front of you. And, uh, you know, that's actually through the casinos app. That's through the, you know, the sports betting operators app. Um, and the league is just probably going to 
I, I imagine if, if they haven't already, they just are going to increase, uh, you know, their um, in, just increase the Wi-Fi in the arena so that everybody can actually get connected and actually have great Wi-Fi because um, that's really all the leagues have to do. They, they can kind of sit back and say, hey, you know, you're here and now you have more um, more things to do during the game and it becomes a more exciting product. Yeah, and it's I, it's like. It's just so tough. I think I guess where I fall on it, I'm I'm not either fr- I, like I try not to hedge on too many things, but this is I I guess the I guess the main point of all this is it should end up being a huge profit driver for the league because for all the leagues. I mean, and we're talking NBA specific, if they're getting a dollar off of every bet, I would think that adds up over the course of a season. That is going to be like I would say hundreds of millions of dollars with all the bets that are being placed. And if you're able to, to promote it and you're going to endorse in arena betting and offer more of these prop bets, live game wagers, that could end up driving up the the bottom line to it even more. And that that's just, that's going to be so interesting to me to see how it impacts the revenue of these leagues, specifically the NBA, which has just done a, a great job of capitalizing on some just more progressive means of exposure when you look at the way they treat social media and how they want to exp- how they've been trying to expand their brand globally with the games that they'll have out there. So I'm I'm very interested to see what this means for the league, its its revenue, its revenue sharing program in the next couple of years. I, I think that's going to be a fascinating fascinating element of all this. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you, the salary cap is tied to the revenue, so you definitely, I, I think you're going to see all of that go up. I think you're going to see uh, players get paid more as a result of this. Uh, and I, I think there's going to be a lot of businesses around the game that grow. Um, you know, as far as, you know, if, if you're a tavern or you're a, a, ra- a racetrack right now and you can now add sports betting to, your, to, to what you have in-house, you're just going to have more people coming through. And as far as what the, what the league is getting, uh, you know, they're asking for 1% of the bets. Uh, you know, they're going to negotiate on a state-by-state basis. Some states are saying they're not giving any. Some states are agreeing to X percentage. And it's a, it's a pretty, you know, even if it's a half a percent of every bet, it's a, that's a pretty large handle that they're going to take. And um, there's problems on both sides with that. And, you know, one of them is it's trying to get the illegal bettors over to the, over to the legalized market. And if you add one, you take one more piece out of the pie and put one more margin on top of it, now you got now you're going to struggle with uh, offering the same odds and, and and coming away with the same same profit. This might be outside your scope, but do you think it ultimately becomes a situation where Congress leaves states to make their own choices on this front, or do you think there'll be uh, some kind of, if not a very stringent form of federal regulation uh, implemented for for the sports betting scene? Yeah, sure. I actually I wrote about this today on CNBC. So we, uh, yeah, we, we talked to the American Gaming Association, and they they're a strong belief that it'll remain a state by state, only because that's really what it's been, that that's really how it's been for so long, right? And it's going to be hard for you know the federal government to take back the power from the states. Um, it, while it may be a great idea for them to have a uniform front, and they could potentially say, hey, you know, uh, New Jersey has a good. Uh, had had a good deal with the leagues, you know, they only gave X amount of percentage and every other state follows suit um, or, or, or has some, some variation of that. 
But um, as far as uh, an actual federal... Mirai is Japanese for the future. And in the future, your commute will be less expensive because now you can get a special lease on a Toyota Mirai. Powered by hydrogen, it emits only water. And Toyota will cover three years worth of your fuel costs up to $15,000. You'll also get three years no-cost scheduled maintenance, HOV lane access, and may be eligible for a $5,000 state rebate. The future sounds pretty good, huh? Get your special lease on a Mirai today. See San Francisco Toyota or click the banner for details. Toyota, let's go places. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. framework uh it, i think it's very unlikely to happen um people were talking about too i saw this on twitter a little bit that they think this ultimately hurts vegas a little bit and i, I think you kind of for me right in my opinion touched upon this before when you were just talking about how the sports wagering is kind of a smaller piece of the pie when you look at what casinos do in terms of table games and, and slots and and all that stuff i also now looking at vegas I don't having been a few times. I don't know who who goes to Vegas just to bet on sports, and that stuff has been available through the apps anyway. So they can kind of should be able to um, capitalize on this themselves as well to some extent. But even insofar as it might dilute uh, the number of places and establishments that are uh, or for offering sports betting, I just can't imagine this really hurting Vegas all that much, given just what it's become, where the whole town the whole scene is just this spectacle and there is more value i think to them or at least they're pitching more of the experience than the actual services that they're offering yeah i uh, i spoke to joe asher the ceo of william hill um it's a betting operator that's in in vegas but also internationally and he said it's a win for las vegas as well because you know the sports betting scene is just something to get people to vegas because there's so much more to offer there and you know with it being more widespread and kind of more accepted now, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have even more people going to Vegas and it's going to be just an extra thing they do rather than the main reason that you go somewhere. Um, there's few people that get on a plane just to go cash in a bet. And, um, <laughs> you know, hey, that, if, if, it's a, if it's a large enough ticket, then, you know, maybe it's worth it. But, uh, you know, but sports betting is a big piece of a, a, a very large slate of things to do in Vegas. But... <laughs> But yeah, it's not the only one. And now they can probably more, and I don't know the regs, like rules and regs here, but they, now they're probably, it's easier for them to set up like, can you, you know, can you place a bet? And if it's a future and you're in Vegas and you did it, now they can just easily set up direct deposit to you or something like that. Maybe that opens up uh, that possibility. I don't know what the laws on wire transfers then there would be, but I, I would think I, I would think it helps or at the very least doesn't hurt Vegas in any way. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that you know Vegas is fine. Um, they, you know, they they have a sports team now. They're about to get a second sports team. I wonder, uh, you know, I wonder if that has anything to do with um, them feeling okay. <laughs> yeah. The um, two more questions on this. Well, I guess one and then one. I'll start with the one that I just found very interesting that I just didn't realize. So the owner of the Rockets, Tillman for for Tita, he also owns the Golden Nugget Las Vegas Casino, and they had to stop taking bets on 
the Rockets, and it's not even that. It's because they had to stop taking bets on the Rockets. They have to now pay out bets for people who gambled on the Golden State Warriors as being the top team in the West. And then if for some reason the Rockets make the finals, they have to pay out bets for people who wagered on the Celtics or the Cavaliers, depending on who's in there, as the team to win the championship. I find that utterly crazy. It, yeah, they, I mean, I, according to their book, the Rockets just don't exist. So it's like, you know, hey, it's like who made it Who made it the furthest? And right right now the Warriors have already won the West in, in this book's eyes. And uh, the Celtics have been doing something similar with Caesars, uh, who Caesars, uh, the people who own Caesars also uh, own the Celtics. And um, from my knowledge before this, they just never took games. They never took Celtics games. And you still, I mean, you still can't get it through the playoffs. But it's very interesting to see actual bets paid out on a, a team that potentially didn't actually win that bet. And I wonder if sports bettors knew this um, when they placed their Western Conference bets that this could potentially be a, you know, something that would come out as a conflict of interest. And because um, imagine you're getting the Warriors and you don't have to worry about the Rockets. Like, that, that seems like a much better bet, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, for me, I'm interested, it seemed out of all the reactions that were released from the different leagues and sports, that the NCAA had like the most lukewarm response to anything. And I'm wondering, because theoretically, this is going to drive up their revenue as well. The call for college players, college athletes has to get even more profound now that this is happening, will it not? Yeah, I really, I, I really wonder if this leads to the college athletes getting paid, and I mean like, like not like behind the scenes, like actually like getting paid through, uh, through a structured program or through some sort of regulation, um, because you know the risk is there. I mean, I'm just, I mean, just the, the risk of match fixing is there, and you know you're gonna have the consequences, but then, then again, you're gonna have kids that are, you know, that are, you know, we, we've all heard the stories of the athletes who, you know. Uh, you know, basically, they, 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 they don't get paid anything. They're not allowed to work jobs. And, you know, this could be a, a, a quick fix for cash. And you just don't want to see that in, in the NCAA. That's so, a, I mean, I, I, think, I think this would be a stepping stone to, to college athletes getting paid. The compensation structure, when the NCAA inevitably gets there, and I think it is inevit- an inevitability at this point, I'm so interested to see what that's actually like. Because I feel like it's so... We we talked about this on the previous pod coming out of Sloan that you came on a few months back. There's just there doesn't seem to just be like a universally effective way to do it. Just because when it comes to the compensation structure, it can't be this egalitarian approach because there are players who are driving far more revenue than others. And then how do you really separate that? Um, other than I guess giving them independent freedom over how they go about profiting off their name. Yeah, it's, it's a very tough task to try to figure out how it should be done. But it, I mean, I'm under the opinion that it should be done. Um, oh yeah, 100%. yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's like, how do you do it? And that that's really the next step. And um, I mean, personally, I would say any 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 athlete that can, you know, go to Nike and say, and, and Nike will pay them to wear something, that should be allowed. Like, I mean, if if they want to, if Nike wants to pay you or I to wear whatever, you know, to wear shoes or to wear uh, a headband all day at work, um, I, 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 is either one of us going to not do it? <laughs> no. Is, is, there, is, there, is there is there any issue with that? Like, there's no issue here. Why is it an issue with this? You know, on, on that stage, and sure, that could get you know a little hairy with oh, oh now Nucky's paying you know John Smith to go to Kentucky basically or or, or whatever. But um, 
I think I think you rather have that separated from you know the state of Kentucky is paying John Smith to come to Kentucky, <laughs> like through through their uh, you know through their Treasury Department. And better the actual players, athletes getting the money as opposed to like these companies paying people that are in relation to them or who promise to promise them to the schools. Like it just there's there's so much of that third party, fourth party, fifth party bullshit just going on that at this point. I, that should be the bare minimum, too, what you just discussed, is that, like these players being able to capitalize off their own name in some way and doing it where they're not even getting payouts from the NCAA, but they're they're going out on their own and they're getting money from these shoe companies or, or maybe even these agents. Um, that should be the bare minimum of what goes in place. Yeah, yeah, and I, and, I mean, who knows when that'll happen, but I mean, hopefully, hopefully something happens uh, you know, relatively soon. All right, but with that was a good discussion on sports gambling. I didn't think we were going to spend as much time on it, but I'm very fascinated just to see how it affects uh, league revenues, particularly at the NBA level, and also the NCAA, just to see if this speeds up the process of student-athlete compensation. Now we move on to the Sixers and their outlook. And before we get into what they need, what they might do, I'm just sort of wondering how you were left feeling after they fell in five games to the Celtics. Are you any lower on their future? Were you of the mind that they were playing with found money by even getting that far into the playoffs? Where do you kind of fall on this this exit? Yeah, I like to try to keep a level head with it. Um, definitely, in the second round, you're playing with house money, especially with you know Ben Simmons, who is a rookie, despite all the, you know, he's a second-year player. And, um, and, and then Joel, who's, you know... He, he cracked 100 games just this season. Like, like when you're playing with those as your pillars, uh, you you got to just be happy that you're you're in the dance. And then to to be the Heat team that you know, despite despite you know how competitive the Heat are, uh, it was it, it was just house money at that point. Is there? Are you at all? I don't want to use the word lower, but is there any more of a sense of urgency for you to say, hey, that Ben Simmons, after watching what the Celtics were able to do to him and how they defended him, that he really needs to, I'm not saying shoot threes, but that there needs to be some type of a floater in his game now, or at least needs to get to the point where you look at Giannis Attentacumpo, who is still not an efficient jump shooter, but he still pulls up and he'll shoot some threes. And that willingness to fire away is a value in itself because it at least makes you in theory a threat to do something outside of the restricted area outside the paint. Do you think that that's now there's more urgency behind Ben Simmons doing that now, or is it you look at it? Oh, the Celtics are kind of an anomaly with the way they're able to defend him there. And, and you're not too concerned on that front. Oh no, it's definitely a little concerning because you know, you're going to have other coaches look at what Brad Stevens did and try to emulate it. And, you know, and, and if you're Ben Simmons, like this should be one of the top things you work on, and he probably will. I mean, like he, he's only had a few off seasons, but um, as, as far as what I, what I'm more concerned with uh, from the Sixers, uh, I think like Simmons would be like probably like third or fourth of my concerns. Uh, I'm concerned about Robert Covington. <laughs> uh, like I, I, I just I, I just really wonder if he can be a piece going forward and. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have any of that going into the into either series, um, and and also Mark Helpful. You know, you always you always like to see your first round pick play, um, <laughs> especially when you're going against Tatum, who's like you know the guy they they traded him for. You like to see uh, him compete, but uh, you know he, he's also a rookie, and you know we have two rookies that did not uh, did not play their their first season, 
and they they both turned out pretty well. So maybe Fulter turned the corner. The Covington slant is interesting because when they put McConnell in the starting lineup for him, that theoretically should have hurt their spacing because McConnell was in the shooter himself. But Rocco just struggled so much in the playoffs, and is that a function of him just really not being used to or really able to dribble? Do you think that maybe this is because it was his first taste of the playoffs? And now that he has that under his belt, it'll improve. And it's also, it was Brett Brown's first taste as a head coach in the playoffs. And maybe he'll be able to do more to counter a team like Boston's defense where you can get guys like Covington moving more off the ball or just get them open. Because even in that series, J.J. Redick uh, struggled to get daylight. It's just that Covington struggles kind of predated just that Celtic series. Yeah, uh, uh, Covington struggles really, you know, showcases limitations and, uh, you know that four-year, like sixty-two million-dollar deal, does not does not look good right now. And um, you know Brett Brown talked at the end of the season talked about you know landing a big fish, and you'd have to think that Covington's deal goes into any in, into any deal for for a bigger fish, just because like they need the salaries to match, or they need, need to you know probably get rid of some salary if they're going to uh, if they're going to make a trade. And I don't know, I don't know that I, I can't tell you right now that Covington's a plus asset. I mean, he's he's nowhere near like untradeable, but um, but yeah. Uh, Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right too, with up to forty percent off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our refresh for less kitchen and bath event. That's up to forty percent off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more for kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. As far as what they could they could do differently to get him moving again, um, I think the roll off the bench wasn't bad for him. I mean, he, he plays well. If, if he does say, I mean, he played well with Bellinelli. He, you know, he, he seems he seemed a little more comfortable off the bench, but still, his, you know, his numbers and, and the eye test didn't really uh, do much justice for him. I think what helps with Covington and why... He's easily movable to me because his salary just plummets uh, leading into next season because of that renegotiate and extend in the way they, they structured it. And even if he's just this regular season asset, that's still an 82-game asset. And if I'm the Sixers in the quest to get cap space, if we're looking at just cap space, I'm, he's not someone that I'm trying to move. Uh, I'd be more focused on getting rid of Bayless's expiring contract, even if you have to include a sweetener. If we start talking about Kawhi Leonard trades, or if LeBron wants to opt in and trade, uh, force an opt in and trade to the Sixers, that's where I, I'm pr- more open to getting rid of Covington. But when you're looking at utilizing their cap space or their access to even more cap space, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of turning him into collateral damage. Would you would you deal Covington uh, as part of a package for uh, I don't know let's say like one of one of the Toronto's guys like Kyle Lowry? No, you don't you don't want Kyle Lowry on the Sixers. Kyle Lowry would be fantastic on the Sixers, but there are two things. There are a few things there. He's older. Um, undersized point guards traditionally don't age too well. With Chris Paul being like a, a holy crap exception, and Kyle Lowry's been good too. His I also Robert Covington's contract is just you're looking at the average salary over the next four years and i don't even think it cracks 12 million so that to me is it has the potential to be a plus asset at worst right now looking ahead to next season i think it's an even asset and the other thing is 
if you're going to get another, I know Kyle Lowry isn't the most ball dominant player, but if you're going to bring in another point guard or just another guy who's used to operating on the ball, it needs to be the superstar in his prime, the LeBron James, the, even though there'd be more adjustments there, um, the, the Paul George, the trade for Kawhi Leonard, I just wouldn't do that for a Kyle Lowry because he, even more so than looking at a LeBron entering his age 34 season, that you uproot your timeline for. I don't think you do that for a Kyle Lowry. I'd even be reticent yeah. to trade Robert Covington for Kawhi Leonard, and I say this only because how much Leonard will cost in free agency in 2019, but even more so because he just played in nine games last year. And what if, <laughs> yeah, what if this yeah. quad injury is Scary. is chronic? Like that, that could be a problem. Yeah, I think you mentioned on a previous podcast about like whether like if you were the Spurs, you wouldn't uh, you'd be w- really worried about giving them the supermax or anything close to that. Um, you know, because this is the summer for it, right? Like they're gonna they're gonna sit down at the table with Kawhi, and uh, I mean, I, I kind of see I kind of see San Antonio working it out with him, uh, especially if they're willing to you know offer up uh, you know the, the supermax or somewhere close to it because um, you know obviously it's more than you can get elsewhere. But um, Philadelphia would be in, I don't know. Like I, I think I might take a chance on it. Over over Covington because you know what Covington is now, and I mean he's a nice piece, but uh, you know the ceiling ceiling with Kawhi is you know it, it's just higher. But then you also have you know you you put him next to Joel, and you know you have a lot of injury risk on your team. So I, I definitely see the hesitation. Yeah, I guess I'm gonna hit the fuck it button and say we need to kind of just dive right in for uh, the Sixers' future because we've already even tiptoeing around the offseason, <laughs> dived into it. Um, Brett Brown did say, which I thought was. It was it was funny because it was like very wink wink. But for him to say, per the Philadelphia Inquirer's Keith Pomp- Pompey, I think a high level free agent is required. I feel like we have the ability to attract one. That's just like LeBron's ears are burning. Paul George's ears are probably tingling a little too. I would think that Kawhi Leonard, even though he's the trade market guy, uh, he might be experiencing a little chill. Sources also told Pompey that the Sixers have interest in stealing George from the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're, they're interested in signing him, and he'd be their best fit to me, uh, better than LeBron James. I actually don't think they should target because Markel Fultz, to me, is a, is a part of all this. It's different if you have to move him as part of a deal for Kawhi Leonard, but if you bring in a LeBron James, and you have Ben Simmons, and you have Joel Embiid, Markel Fultz is sort of in this situation where he needs to walk before he can crawl. Like, before you decide to turn him into a complimentary option, he needs on-ball reps to get comfortable with himself. And you're not going to be able to do that by bringing in any type of superstar. And that's the risk you run with LeBron James. It's the risk you run to me if you bring in another point guard, whether it's someone who's not really that ball-dominant like Kyle Lowry or you went a completely opposite direction for someone who is more ball-dominant. LeBron, you do it for, I guess, just because he's LeBron— but I would be reticent to do it on anything less. And that's why Paul George, to me, is even more intriguing than Kawhi Leonard just because, yeah, obviously the health issues now, even though Paul George did have that knee procedure that was, I'm not even sure the Thunder were going to announce it. He just blew up their spot by posting it on Snapchat. But Leonard has that quad injury, (laughs) and he's become really ball-dominant in San Antonio, though there's a clear path to him going back into that ancillary device status i i just i think paul george would be the the ideal a- acquisition for them if we're talking about just in a vacuum and what would be the perfect outcome to the sixers this offseason I, I like george on the sixers i mean he definitely would fit a lot of needs and i think would mesh him well um with the young guys i just don't know how feasible it is as far as if you're actually looking at realistic targets uh you know 
you know, try to steal him. He, he's in one place, and then you get, and then you have the whole Laker talk, and now we'll finally get to see whether you know the, whether the Lakers were tampering or had any actual. Well, I guess they were tampering, but whether there's any substance to that. And uh, you know, you, you can trade for Kawhi if, if you get LeBron to come. I mean, that's that, I think that's also a long shot. But um, I, I just I, I think you kind of take what you can get out of out of out of those three and. Um, you know, I, I think Kawhi is the is the most likely, but uh, but yeah, I, I I agree. I think George would be a great fit. Um, what do you think about Brett Brown? Do you think he do you think he's going to be there in two years? Two years? Oh, that's uh, without knowing how they finish the season next year. I I honestly couldn't say, but I do. What I like about that question is you're guaranteeing that he'll be back next season, which I think is the right call because people saying that he needs to lose his job or they need to go in another direction i feel like you're getting way way ahead of themselves like there were different rotation decisions he could have made in the playoffs but this is like the first time he was given a real basketball team and it's not like the sixers were dealt ideal circumstances they didn't have markel fultz and while he was available i don't know that after playing in fewer than 15 games during the regular season that you want that rookie in your playoff rotation and this was Brett Brown's first taste of the playoffs as a head coach, too. He needs to be given time to develop as well. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, the, this playoffs kind of reminded me for the, for Brett Brown is like the Monday you get back from vacation, and you know you're you're, you're there and you you know you, you you're ready to go, but you're not exactly sharp, and and because you haven't haven't you haven't been at work for a while, and not not that he hasn't been doing great work on the sidelines, but he hasn't been doing that in game adjustments um, on a high level, and probably since you know, up, uh, before the season, probably since San Antonio days. Right. And a, a lot of people centered on or zeroed in on the decision in, I can't remember, was it game two? Was it game, was it game three where he went with Ben Simmons over TJ McConnell, who was just going off to close the game. And yeah, yeah. my initial reaction was Ben Simmons is your future. TJ McConnell is not your future. And because you were operating with found money, it's more important for Ben Simmons to get that exposure, those reps, for the coach to display trust in him that he can rebound from a rough start uh, than it is to win that game and to give yourself a chance at the Eastern Conference Finals. I just because I, I just are we really getting like that ahead of ourselves here? People thought it was a stretch when the Sixers is over under was released. Then were they thought it was a stretch for them to win a playoff series. Then Joel Embiid's talking about winning 50 games and they thought that was hyperbole. They do it all and now all of a sudden it's borderline disappointing because they didn't make the Eastern Conference Finals. No. Like it's it isn't it's not. And I actually appreciated what he did there and he showed a willingness to then adjust from there. You saw the TJ McConnell starting after that. Uh, there there are things to be learned there and the offense did not adjust enough the sisters the sixers the sisters wow the philadelphia 70 sisters the philadelphia 76ers <laughs> they did not they were not playing smart basketball on the offensive side towards the end of that uh celtic series i just don't i'm not ready to crucify brett brown for it a lot of it was joel Embiid kind of toiling away in the post even when he wasn't turning the ball over it just seemed like he was using using valuable time off the shot clock and taking too long to pass out of double coverage or even single coverage. Uh, this team is, it's not necessarily young when you look at some of the players that were in the rotation, but the experience in this situation, particularly for the key guys, Rocco, Ben Simmons, um, Dario Saric, who is amazing, by the way, and we'll have to talk about him, and Joel Embiid, oh, yeah. it's not there yet. And now this is the team that 
has the loss in its uh, on its resume from the playoffs, and maybe it's just one of those squads that needed this loss, needed this experience. They can come back and know what they need to do over the offseason and how to handle themselves next year. To me, you'd almost hate to see them become the next version of the Oklahoma City Thunder. What if they made the conference finals a year too early, or the NBA finals a year or two too early, like that Thunder team, and then they're just never able to get back because everything they do thereafter, whether it's derailed by injury or something else, is viewed as this underachievement yeah i mean this, this season has to be viewed as success and and everything after the heat series is, is really house money and you know health is not guaranteed it's not guaranteed that they're gonna ever reach the finals but you know you have to overall you have to if you sit back and you're not caught up in that in, in the Celtics series you, you really like what you see and you know brett brown's a part of that and you know i, I give him credit for even even his guys will run and run the plays that he wants them to run like uh, you know, that's not a given. I mean, look at, like, I, I don't know the whole situation in Oklahoma City, but, you know, Russell kind of does what he wants. And, you know, that's, you know, these superstars seem, these superstars in Philly or, or future superstars seem to, you know, get behind Brett and, you know, and and, and they're really on board with everything there. So, um, you know, that's that, that, that's such a positive. You don't you shouldn't mess that up this offseason. Or, you know, or, or even at the end of next offseason. Let's say next year they get, they, the same outcome. I, I still think. I still think you keep this guy for uh, you, as long as, as long as it's not a an egregious in game situation. Um, then you're. Then I think. I think you keep this guy. He, he, he's leading the people. He's leading the people. He's leading the kids of Philadelphia. Right, and he seems very receptive to uh, the analytics uh, lineup data, which that piece that. I believe it was Zach Lowe of ESPN.com wrote, is just super complicated the way the Sixers do it. They try and structure their entire rotations around it. You're also balancing all of a sudden these immediate expectations with Joel Embiid um, cacawing about how he needs to play and shouldn't have been um, on the bench to start the playoffs because of his injury and how he didn't want to play with the mask and he's trying to take the mask off in the middle of games while you're also grooming these youngsters but you have all these veterans like Ilyasova and Bellinelli and, and Redick. I don't think, despite the Sixers obliterating expectations, I don't think this was one of the easiest jobs in the NBA to have this year. No, you're dealing with a lot of unknowns. I mean, like how is you know how is Joel going to hold up in the playoffs? How how is Simmons going to do? Is TJ McConnell a playoff caliber person? Um, you know these are these are all and like what do you do with Fultz? It's like what would, what would you have done with Fultz? Would you have played him over McConnell? I mean, the Philadelphia media and and the market would just they they, they love TJ McConnell. They're just like they would they would they would have your head if you if you <laughs> sat him over <laughs> over Fultz. I mean, I I don't I don't think it's an I don't think it's an easy job. Now I mean like he does have to improve. This isn't like a you know, this isn't you have this job forever, right. uh, you know. But like, you know, he, he gets he, he gets another season to show. He gets an off season to improve, and he gets a, he gets another season to, you know, have more of these opportunities, more in game settings. Now, let's say a trade for Kawhi Leonard presents itself. Would you rather, if you only had to give up one? Well, one, would you give up both Saric and Fultz for Kawhi Leonard? And if you had to choose. Which one would you give up if you only had to relinquish one? That's tough. It's like it's it's really like a known quantity versus like the higher upside. Because um, I, th- I think Fultz ha- has the upside. Will he ever reach it? It's, it's you know it's, it's to be determined. But uh, uh, you know, I I, wa- I I wonder if they're going to ask for both. But if I had to give up one, um, I, I think I think I give up Sark. I think I'm there too, in large part because Leonard. There's not overlap necessarily in the skill sets, but they're both wings. They could both be combo forwards, and if you're still going to have Rocco, 
yeah, maybe you'll still have TLC depending on how that trade goes down. If you want to look at bringing back Redick, uh, if you want to look at bringing back Bellinelli, there's just not as much of a need then for Sarich there. Uh, but but I think it's tough because Sarich out, outperformed everyone's expectations because there was uh, everyone wondered should he start, and I think the general consensus was no because his fit wouldn't be right alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and he was just absolutely fantastic this year. Their starting lineup destroyed people during the regular season. Uh, he he just he, he was an efficient scorer from three. He scored nicely off the catch. He was comfortable with his pump and drives, and to have that guy be, be sort of comfortable in that skin when everyone thought he needed to be more of this ball-dominant dominant, go-get-it player is huge, but I'm with you. I'd have to roll with the upside, especially because... I, like if you have Fultz, like then you have a point guard because Ben Simmons is technically a point guard, but at least Fultz is a point guard. You hope with a more established jumper, uh, depending on what you how much you read into what happened for much of this season. And McConnell's going to be a free agent after next year. You don't know if you're going to be able to afford to keep him. I, I think I would bet on the upside as well. And the last thing you want to do is, you, you know, you're already taking crap because you, you traded. Um, the basically the right to draft Jason Tatum, and he is now leading the Celtics in scoring as they have a 1-0 lead over the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. And there's a to-be-determined element of there, but the last thing you want to do is then cut short on Markel Fultz and see him just flourish under Greg Popovich. Yeah, and um, you know, I, you see all that stuff on Twitter about like, oh, well, the Sixers. What if they had Tatum? And then, and then you see the Nets fans being like, we should have him and Brown, and like, you know, it makes you feel a little better, but. Uh, but yeah, Tatum would be Tatum would be an absolute. Uh, he, he he'd be great for for the Sixers, and uh, you know, when you, when you talk about Fultz, it's like you almost you almost have to try to make that work in order to in, in to, to retroactively justify what what you did there with that trade. And what's also interesting part of their offseason is they it's not necessarily a pick and choose situation. Like theoretically. If they're if they want to clear the cap space to sign Paul George or LeBron James, they can, and then you can go back and visit the Kawhi Leonard trade front because you're not. It's not going to take your best assets to grease the wheels of a Jared Bayless salary dump. I would think because he only has a year left on his deal, it takes your own first round pick. Maybe I don't think Justin Anderson would get it done. Maybe Rajon Holmes. Uh, I would not give up the Lakers pick, most likely, uh, just to get rid of Bayless. So they could theoretically, and maybe that's a part of this offseason, if you're LeBron or Paul George and you're looking at the Sixers and you see, hey, I I can sign there, and then they're still going to have the powder to go out and try and trade for Kawhi Leonard, that becomes an incredibly uh, interesting situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's say they get Paul George. I mean, who else are you bringing in? Because like, you're, are, you, are you assuming that you're not you're not getting you you're just not gonna get two of these these people? Like, you're not getting Kawhi. You're not getting George. It's, it's just so like, who, who's that secondary player that you're gonna go trade your um the trade your assets for? I again, I think just because of the way that Bayless is an expiring contract, I would assume maybe maybe you have to do two. Rashawn Holmes, I really like him, but he is kind of I don't want to say pointless, but you have. Joel Embiid on the roster. Maybe you can get Ersan Ilyasova back, and he played a bunch of center with Philly. We even saw Dario Saric kind of moonlight there at times. So I would think, even if you have to give your own first-round pick and, and to Holmes, that you're able to get off Bayless's money. Maybe it's as simple as I give up TLC, too, at this point, uh, just looking at what the Sixers' window is now. And then if you're able to do something like that, 
then yes, you have to trade Robert Covington if you still wanted to sign a free agent and go after Kawhi Leonard. But you just said you'd give up Rocco in a trade for uh, Leonard. And if you pair him with Fultz or if you pair him with Sarich and picks, like that's you've built yourself an offer. So it's feasible. I'm not saying it's likely, but that's something that the Sixers get to sell Braun or Paul George on if they don't think that they're necessarily in the running is a lot of people have said the Lakers can do this. The, the Sixers can do it too, and they might even have an easier path to get there just because I think overall when you look at the prospects they can offer, now collectively there's going to be more faith in Sarich and uh, Robert Covington, not a prospect, but just in terms of his contract and him being a proven commodity, and then just Markel Fultz because he maintains that number one pick cachet, then maybe there would be interest in, oh, Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball. And the other part is is that the Sixers' best salary matching fodder, whether it's Bayless, whether it's Bayless or Robert Covington, it's not freaking Luol Deng, and that's that makes it a little bit easier for them to do stuff too. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a complete negative, and uh, you know I, I I really think the Sixers have the best situation for any uh, any free agent they want to try to bring in, uh, you know, this offseason of the teams with salary cap. I mean, sure, if uh, with salary space, if you know, if Golden State Warriors say, hey, we're willing to trade, you know a bunch of players to bring in, uh, you know, to bring one of these big fish, uh, sure. That's a better situation, but, um, of all the realistic, uh, destinations, uh, that, that the free agents can go, I, I think the Sixers have the best shot. I would love to see Clay Thompson in Philly. If the Warriors just, maybe it's, you know, he's a free agent next year. I think it's really hard for them to carve out cap space in 2019. When you look at what they might do this summer, but if the Warriors just – if they lose in the conference finals, they lose in the NBA finals and just decide, hey, we can't keep all four of these guys together and you're not going to get rid of Steph or KD, I'd probably get rid of Draymond. Or maybe not because after the way he's defended these playoffs, but Clay in Philadelphia would be spectacular. All that being said, though, if they can't get one of Paul George or LeBron and let's say the Spurs don't trade Leonard because I ultimately don't think they will either um, – I also don't think, as you said, I don't think they should offer him that Supermax extension, but a lot of people, and that's another thing, a lot of people are of the mind that they can't keep him if they're not going to give him that extension, and and that just feels like saying, oh, a coach can't play, like, coach a team while he's in the last year of his deal. Like, yes, you can. I know that the agents want the money now and want that stuff locked down, but there's, what's wrong with saying, hey, you played nine games last year, we want to make sure you're healthy, we're going to give you a ton of money anyway, but if you're as good as you're supposed to be, you're going to requalify for the Supermax before next summer. Uh, that's a different topic, though. I just, I found that interesting that people don't think the Spurs can keep him and then not sign him to that extension, but let's say the Sixers whiff on all these guys, all these fronts this summer, do you think they should then dole out that money among two or three key impact guys? Are you looking for them to maintain their flexibility and see if they can do stuff in 2019? Uh, what would What is your best case reaction for them in that scenario? See, that's where I really like the Kyle Lowry match uh, matchup because you got you got someone who's really good, uh, you know, as a spot up three pointer, a three point shooter, and you know the more the more of those kind of players you have around uh, around this team, especially with Ben and the way. Uh, you know the way he kind of lacks shooting right now. I think that'll be, you know, that, that'll be very good for them. But but then again, that's going to cost you as well. So it depends on it depends on what the price is for for Lowry and his deal. Um, you know, because if the price is like you know like you're giving up Covington or you're giving up Bayless and assets, you know, like to just to to try to get to the point where you know you you're able to make a, a legal deal, then um, I think that makes sense. But um, yeah, outside of the, outside of the top targets, 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they do because they can't give minutes to that many more people if they're going to keep everyone right. already. And whoever you get, you need to make sure is just going to be able to play off of guys, and that's where I think there are intriguing names for them potentially like a Will Barton or Tyreek Evans, maybe even a Contavious Caldwell Pope, who was a big part of the Lakers' kind of defensive resurgence this year. But those are all guys. KCP's probably fine playing off the ball a bunch, even though he falls in love with transition pull-ups. Uh, you have, at what cost does it come? Forget about the money. It's are we taking too many touches away from Markel Fultz? And it's as, it's as you said, when you look at the Sixers, they're almost better suited to consolidate rather than add. And so you know that even if they sign a LeBron James or Paul George, unless they had to give up a bunch of assets to clear the necessary cap space, that that's probably not the last move they're going to make because the rotation all of a sudden just looks so clogged. Yeah, and, it, and another name I like, if they strike out on all these big stars and they, they have to go and they want to try to make a marginal upgrade, um, you know, what if Washington is trying to reshuffle the deck and Otto Porter becomes available? I think Otto Porter would be a really nice piece and he's not the flashiest name, and he doesn't really get anyone excited um, outside of probably people who've watched him all year in D.C. But, um, but yeah, I think, he'd be, I think that type of player would be a really good piece for the Sixers. And, you know, he kind of fits the timeline a little bit. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I've, I've written a lot about the Wizards and how they need to bust up the big three. Uh, Porter is overpaid, but he's the player that you're fine overpaying because he's just that you put him anywhere. He's just that plug-and-play universal fit on offense, and then he can— essentially switch between positions one through four on the defensive end. I I don't know what type of package the Wizards would be interested in for someone like him, though, because he's not, it's not a Kawhi Leonard or obviously an opt-in for opt-in trade with LeBron James. Like, what do you realistically give up for Otto Porter? They'll take Bayless as a salary anchor, but are you giving up faults in a Porter trade? And if not, then you're really going to have to cobble together some money because I don't know that he's this huge upgrade over Covington, particularly at his price point, which means that you're going to have to throw in Sarich and, and just a, a few other players to, to make the salaries match unless that you're going to take Porter back into certain cap space, which is possible with the Wizards being up against the, against the tax and wanting relief. He'd be an interesting target, though, and a great fit. I do think that Beal is more so the odd man out in Washington just because John Wall's contract the final year when he's 32 is going to pay him $46.9 million. I don't think teams are going to want to touch that. And if they do, they're not going to give the Wizards adequate value back in return. And then Porter, again, while I'll admit having him as your highest paid player through next year isn't the best situation, I think he's too valuable to what they need just because of his plug-and-play fit on offense and what he's able to do on the defensive end, which naturally then leaves Bradley Beal as, as the guy they probably shop hardest. Yeah, and it, to try to get Porter, probably take a little bit of an overpay, and then then you realize what you're overpaying for, and you know it, it, it gets it would get difficult for the Sixers. But Bradley Beal's a nice uh, wouldn't be a bad like if they can get what if they can get Bradley Beal? I mean that's a you know if, if he's on the market and you put together a package of you know you got you, you take the uh, the Lakers pick that's coming, and then you know you put together a package around let's say Covington and. You know, uh, and salary, and you get Bradley Beal. Like, like I think maybe maybe that's the area that you can ex- explore. I just don't. That would be tough for me because I, what does that do to your defense? And then if you're going to get Bradley Beal, that's another guy who's he's played off of John Wall, but you insert Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz into that equation. Is that is it tough to strike a balance there? Um, he. 
there there's so many guys that could potentially fit on the Sixers, but it's so complicated because Markel Fultz makes everything almost tough for me. Unless you're giving him up in a trade, and Beal and Porter aren't the types of players you give up Fultz for. I wouldn't sacrifice that upside. And so he's kind of the how they view him is kind of the key to all this. Oh, I don't know. I might give up. I might give up Fultz for Beal. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, I might. Uh, I think I think that's kind of where like I think there's a lot of skepticism around Fultz, and you know if they know him best, and if you know if they're like okay, this isn't going to work, or this is, this is, doesn't have a high uh, probability of working, then like you know like Bradley Beal's no, no slouch, um, especially especially for a team that's looking to you know I guess has it, I guess now has expectations to to make the finals, <laughs> you know. Yeah, in itself is kind of uh, in itself is kind of uh, kind of funny to me. But. Do you think Joel Embiid, per his own comments, is going to finish? I'll give him some leeway, even in the top five of MVP voting next year. He could. I mean, he was really good this last year. He's got to play. I mean, he's got to play more. Uh, what do you play? Sixty-three games, or so somewhere around there. He, he's got to play more than that. He's got to get up, get up to like seventy, seventy-five. Um, because I don't think that he'll. I don't think people will even consider him if he doesn't. Um, but I mean, he, he was. I mean, he was pretty good this year in the games he played. Do you worry about his shooting at all? Thirty point eight percent on threes during the regular season this year wasn't too efficient off the catch, and he was better last year. And you think that with a team that boasted better spacing, uh, and he didn't really. Obviously, a smaller sample size, but he didn't. His volume was virtually unchanged he averaged 4.5 three-point attempts per 36 minutes during his quote-unquote rookie season and then four three-point attempts per 36 minutes this year uh, does that showing con- concern you at all because him being a three-point threat is is kind of a big deal to their offense especially if you're going to he was so dominant next to ben simmons i think they were roughly a plus a zillion points per 100 possessions when those two shared the floor during the regular <laughs> season but if he's not hitting his threes or someone that you can just leave open without worrying about the consequences, that compromises aspects of your offense, uh, especially if you, as someone who's talking about maybe they should trade Robert Covington. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if, if, he can't, if he can't get it up to, like, you know, 35% somewhere in there, or at least, like, you, you have to start to worry. And, you, and, and you know, he can take the, he can take one of the biggest defenders away from the basket, which really gives Ben Simmons and all the other like guards that can drive uh, such an such an advantage. And um, you know if they're not worried about him shooting, then you know then you really clog the whole offense. So yeah, I mean it, it is a concern. Um, you know hopefully it's a you know it, it's a product of him playing you know so many games for the first time in his his career. Maybe it's a fatigue issue more than it's more than he's leading on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you definitely want to watch, it, especially coming in with this, uh, you know, with, with the massive contract. Uh, you know, you, you, you expect more. Now, before we get to the anecdote process, anecdote that you have that I'm very excited to hear about, uh, I want to do a quick exercise of naming a few players that we talked about, and I, I want you to tell me whether you think they're going to be. Well, I guess here's the first question: Do you think the Sixers are going to make a major move over the off season, free agency, trade, whatever? Uh. I think uh, it depends on what you qualify a major move. I mean, could they get an all star? Yeah, I think so. Um, will they get one of the one of the superstars? One of the you know Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, Le- LeBron. Uh, you know, I, if I had, if I had to bet right now, I wouldn't bet on any of them. And you know, it, I, I guess I guess in a couple of weeks I will be able to. But 
<laughs> but uh, I know one of the offshore sites had uh, had Kawhi Leonard going to the Sixers at four and a half to one odds, uh, which you know isn't great, but that was the highest out of any team non any non Spurs team. So um, you know sometimes they say when Vegas thinks it's going to happen, it, it you know it it, it happens, and uh, you know I, I, I think Kawhi is the most likely out of the three, but. Um, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't put money on any of, any of the three to come. Do you think JJ Reddick's back next year? Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think he comes back. I mean, obviously not at the salary he 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 signed this past season, but I wonder if that has. I wonder if that was already kind of like you know wink wink in the works. It's like, hey, well, basically, because you can't front load a contract like you know like over like a certain certain amount, right? Like, so right. they couldn't give him twenty million in one year and then five million next year. I wonder if it was already like. Pre-negotiate. We'll give you like a, it's really like a two-year, twenty-five million dollar deal or two-year, thirty million dollar deal, and he's just going to sign. He's going to re-up for another one year at, at X amount, and it's going to it's going to look like very reasonable. I would but yeah, think, you have to. I think I think you have to bring him back, right? Like, he's yeah, really th- good in that. And I think there was like sort of a wink, wink thing in place. And if you don't, if you end up striking out in free agency, you can do another like sizable deal with him. There's also because they have his non-bird rights. There's some interesting things they can do there, even if they technically try and do some stuff in free agency. I do think he'll be back. If you had to rank then in order of likelihood that these players won't be with the Sixers on opening night next season, Saric, Robert Covington, and Markel Fultz, how would you order that? I think I, I, think I would go, I think Fultz is the most likely not to be there. Wow. Yeah, wow. I think that they that they say that, that he's got the most trade value right now. And if you're gonna, if you're, you know, as Brett Brown was talking about, you're going after, you're trying to get a big fish, and he, then you have to dangle a lot of bait. And you know, Marco Fultz is, is that is that bait. And I think that that's most likely. I mean, what is Sark is nice, but uh, you know, you, you don't want to give up that many people. And if you give up, you know, if you give up Sark, you're probably going to have to add something something else in and another asset to get. You know, to get your big fish, and you know, if you're talking about like Kawhi Leonard trade, like, you know, Fultz plus salary plus, you know, plus a pick, probably, I think it should get it done. Um, and then I think, yeah, then I think the Covington is the least likely. I think that they, I, I think that I think they would have trouble. You know, I think they'll have trouble getting rid of that contract if what if if, if, they, if they have if they have like expectations of getting something significant back. Um, I, I I don't see the I don't see the value lining up with. It's not like a Luol Deng situation. It's it's they they're gonna want an asset for Covington, like a like a like a legitimate asset, and I just don't think that market there is for that, is there. Now, if they want to give him away, sure, their hand there's half half the teams in the league would take him at at the salary, but it's it, it's what they a deal that makes sense for both sides. I, I don't I don't see that coming about. Him is kind of the Boston Celtics eventual Marcus Smart. That guy you resigned just to trade is not something I necessarily considered, but. With the Leonard situation, they could view him that way. Look, all I'm saying is, if the Sixers want to get rid of Markel Fultz, Tim Hardaway Jr. can be had. So if if the Sixers <laughs> want to wing and they want to include Fultz and Covington for Tim Hardaway Jr. and even Frank Nilakina, that's fine with me. You know, we, we can we can start talking up uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. all summer. Uh, maybe maybe I just uh, I took you know, so he, much. Actually, I took so much yeah. shit for <laughs> annihilating that contract, and I'm just now it's. I just don't understand. I don't know anyone who's still in support of it, but it's it's funny how it's that people were trying to justify it, and it was I I I was flabbergasted. The Knicks gave out 2016 money, not only in 2017, but after it became clear that the market had already 
went the other way and was trying to correct itself. So that was such an abysmal move. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, I mean, if you just look at him in a vacuum without the contract, you're like, okay, this is a, this is a starter. He probably should be, you know, like starter, six man, somewhere in there for, for a majority of teams. Um, but yeah, the, the contract just kills you. They're, you know, they're two years behind in their, in, in their financial games. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that, that, that's been the Knicks problem for a little bit, right? Like the decision making and the, and the contracts they handle out. And he's not even the worst contract on the team. I mean, look at, you know, the, I mean, oh, look God. at Joe Noah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so the Knicks fans and the Knicks, uh, you know, the Knicks brass, they have, I think they have bigger fish to fry. All right, so let's get to this process anecdote that you alluded to. Uh, you t- you talked briefly about it when we were talking on the side before this. I'm interested to to hear this run in that you had about someone who didn't understand what the process was. Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually very proud of myself for going this long without mentioning Sam Hankey. Uh, this is I think. Oh my I'm, god, I'm it was re- almost an hour. Uh, yeah, I I know, I know, I know. This is this is I, I don't know what's going on today, um, but yeah. So uh, so. Uh, earlier in the NBA postseason, um, I had some t-shirts made up in advance of game three of the, uh, of the Heat and the Sixers. Now, these t-shirts just had a picture of Sam Hankey sitting next to Joel on the bench. Um, this was before Joel played in the game. And, uh, you know, they had the whole, uh, Sam died for our sins. You know, he was born on this day. He died on this day for our sins. And on the back, I had the city of Philadelphia. I made this, uh, I made this whole, uh, grid with the, uh, with, excerpts from the manifesto on it and so i have this all made up through uh a t-shirt company in uh like like a small mom and pop t-shirt company in new york and 36 emails back and forth we finally got it right um it was a very interesting process it was a process to get this this t-shirt so um she's the 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 woman on the uh other line she's very you know she's an older lady very sweet um when i go to pick up the t-shirts she basically sits down with me and she starts talking to me about Jesus and about there's another way. Um, and then I go to find out that she thought because I had like Sam Hankey died for our sins that I was starting a cult or I was part of a cult. She had never heard of the process. And I had to, I had to explain the whole process thing there. So I started with, you know, oh, well, once upon a time, James Anderson was the Sixers best player. And here's, and here's how we got there. And, you know, it, it was, uh, she was like, oh, oh, I see. I see. I was so worried. I was like, oh, it's okay. Thank you for, thank you for these t-shirts. And, um, you know, so I, I, I got to spread the word of the process a little bit, but it was a, it was kind of a funny afternoon there. Imagine someone not knowing what the process was. I just feel yeah. like I feel like it's just something that is now when you're born, you know it just because it's become just such this huge topic. Like it's just ingrained into it's committed to everyone's memory. It's just uploaded there, just this organic act of whatever. So it's it's incredible that you had to explain to someone what the process was. But that's actually hysterical. Yeah, it, it, well, she, she wasn't the only person I met that weekend that didn't know what the process was because I had the manifesto on the back of the shirt and I went to one of the uh, Sixers bars in, in New York and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like we'll go there. I went with friends. I had, I had t-shirts for them as well. And, um, you know, a lot of people were just like, well, who is that person? He's like, you know, like some people were like, didn't know who he was. And I was like, well, I was like, whoa, I was like, oh, whoa. this would never happen in Philadelphia. Like this would just never happen. Like, this, you can't call yourself like the, the the staff members there knew who it was the whole thing but there was people in the Sixers bar that were you know maybe like fair weather Sixers Sixers fans and I was like oh okay now now I realize like you know the the Sixers uh, bandwagons get a little full and uh, you know I, I, I so I'm in there during like halftime to just try and explain the process and it was 
it was a very <laughs> it was an interesting day. God, how much word vomit did you burn through doing that? Uh, a lot. And, you know, I, I realized I put too much on the back of the shirt. I have, like, probably, like, five paragraphs of text. And I was like, this is, it'd be great for, like, a meme. It would not be great for a T-shirt. So uh, if I ever do it again, we'll keep it short and simple. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I almost felt like I should have, like, that, maybe maybe that, maybe it is a cult. I don't know. Maybe maybe I should have just uh, let it alone. Be like, okay, that's nice. You don't know what it is. But, that, you know, that's, you don't need to know. But, um, I don't know. I kind of feel like it was a, especially, like, because I, I, you know, I lived in Philadelphia during the time, during the actual process. So, uh, you know, it has a special place in my heart, and, uh, you know, I, I guess we're spreading the word. <laughs> I think it's symbolic, though, because the process was kind of like a religion, so for it to kind of just to be related to Jesus Christ himself anyway, I, maybe that's just, is there some symbolism there? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, it's, it's yeah, it, it's, you know, people either love it or, or hate it in Philadelphia, and now I think everyone's coming aboard with, you know, we understand why, why it happened, and, you know, we kind of give you know, homage to the past of, you know, the people before us. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was very symbolic, uh, the whole thing. And, 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 you know, and it continues. I mean, uh, I, I was kind of hoping that the Sixers would like somehow make a finals. Cause like, I think Hinky would get more recognition now than he will in like two years from now when like, you know, he's so many years removed from actually, you know, putting together a lot of the pieces. Uh, but you know, um, maybe next year. Do you think he'll get another job as an executive in the NBA? From his interviews, I can't even tell if he wants one. I say from his interviews, plural. From, like, the one interview he does every half decade or whatever it is. Yeah, when I was up at Sloan um, uh, a couple months ago, I was fishing around for this for this answer. And, you know, it's, yeah, if he wants an assistant GM position, it's there for him. I mean, there's probably, like, a, a good handful of organizations that would, would hire him and would love to, you know, have his, his knowledge uh, as part of their team. But uh, you know, it, is he going? Is he only going to hold out for a top spot? And what would that you know? What does that look like? And but he but he is also like you know he's doing he's doing like regular like day stuff like he's doing like you know he, he's got his hand in tech and investments and uh, he, you know uh, from all from all accounts and purposes he's, he sounds pretty happy doing what he's doing and I'm not sure like if you if you were the architect of, of this process I I think I'd. I think I waited out a little bit, you know, get, you know, kind of get the recognition. Um, you know, he's definitely getting the recognition now that it's turned around and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's turned, it's turned out well, or at least turned the corner, uh, to something, something potentially great. But, um, yeah, I wonder, you know, I wonder what, what kind of team would, what it would take to, you know, to, to hire, to hire him and to, you know, go, th- it, is he going to go through that rebuild again? I, I don't think, I don't even think he would do that. Um, you know, I think it depends on the situation. Now, if he's taking over the Kings, I mean, uh, yeah, sure, you go through a rebuild. But if he took over, uh, I don't know, like, let, let's say he takes over, uh, you know, a, a team like the Pelicans, like, and you already have your superstar in place. I'd be interested to see what he does in that situation. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. If you gave him a team, yeah, if he had, if the young superstar was already there, it'd be really funny. Not funny, but. If he was ever put in control of the team with like the worst salary cap situation ever, and just to see how he works his way back from there, like give give him the Pistons, give Hinky the Pistons, and let's see what happens. Well, maybe he should just become like a consultant for teams, like 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 the uh, the profit nope. on CNBC. He comes over and takes over like failing businesses and just fixes them, and then like lets them have half the share, half the credit. <laughs> No, I want all or nothing. I want full scale scale tear down in like one of the the toughest situations around the league. Uh, 
how how would you how would you fix the Pistons right now? Would you, I mean like? Well, you can't. Uh, that's the problem because you every single contract on their books might be immovable, and that's a complete exaggeration. But you look at. It be it might be interesting because maybe you could get value for Drummond and Griffin and Jackson, but probably not. Uh, so I don't know. That was uh, just give him. I would love to see him work in the NBA again because while I don't think you can say the Sixers' model worked without question, they're where the process was supposed to put them. Whether or not that results in a championship is irrelevant, but the goal, I think the the skeleton of the goal has been achieved because we know the end game is a championship, but this they should act as they still should act as a validation for him. I'm not saying the process was perfect. If you could install a more humanistic version of Hinky throughout that process where he wasn't aggravating agents as much and kind of distanced himself from the players and treated them, there was just all those stories about how he was just so decentralized himself from the situation situation but at the same time you probably can't go about that type of process how he did without really removing yourself from everything so uh, i do the sixers to me are more so a validation of what he was doing than not but i would still like to see him work in the nba again if only just to see that reaction that that incites oh yeah definitely and uh, I, I i'm a big uh I want him back in the league, and I think that he, I think he deserves to be there. I want Philadelphia to bring him to ring the bell, um, which is never going to happen because, like, that entire the entire arena would just go. Like, I, I don't know what would happen to everybody in Philadelphia if Sam Hinkie just came out and rang the bell. I think like you, you might break some sort of record for sound barriers, and it just it, w- it wouldn't be it, it would be a great situation i just don't i don't, I don't know if the ownership will ever do it um there's or maybe they will maybe they maybe maybe time will heal and time, maybe they will time heals all but if i'm he seemed pretty bitter on his way out in that letter that was just yeah like, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, i mean how do you feel about the letter i mean like just like this because like, like that's the way to leave someplace do you, do you actually know what my one of my main feelings about the letter was? Is it made me feel so inadequate as a person because he's pulling out all these like obscure quotes from like uh, educators and and philosophers, and I'm just like, I have not read any of this shit. And you're looking at how well read and well versed he is uh, in in basically everything. And I just I couldn't. I took away from. Him, I'm like, this is this is something else. I know, same. I, I, I said to myself, I have to do more reading because I'm not ready to write my manifesto. Yeah, his like that was just like academic, like an academic manifesto to the upteenth power. And maybe that was part of it, was him being like, yeah, I'm the fucking smartest guy in the room and I know it. And of course, I'm going to crap on you on my way out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I, I'm interested to see if there is like, I mean, like, it will never be public. Like, if anybody else writes manifestos like this in like regular, like, imagine you did this in a regular, like, day setting. And like, like, do you think people would even read it? Would it ever be? I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't even think I people think read my answer. tweets or the work that I publish. Or <laughs> manifesto that that I would post. Um, oh yeah, no, that's that's funny. Listen, Chris, this was spectacular. Uh, some great talk. Uh, the sports gambling conversation was super fun. It's always great to to chat Sixers with you too. I, I super enjoyed uh, your anecdote. I hope you're able to enjoy the rest of the playoffs, even though the Sixers are not in them. Uh, make sure everyone who's listening that you follow Chris on Twitter at CW underscore Krause. That's at CW underscore C-R-O-U-S-E. He again is a writer for CNBC. He 
does a lot of stuff with sports business and betting, which super topical for today. He's also a staff writer at Hoops Rumors, and he has contributed time to time at NBA Math because we love him, and he'll be back on the pod. So just make sure that you follow him on Twitter. Again, at CW underscore Kraus. You can follow me on Twitter if you like to read crappy things on social media, at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled exactly as it sounds. You can follow our website sponsor, MBA Math, at MBA underscore math. Also, be sure to follow us at Hardwood Knox. Please remember, too, to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. It takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Just search us on iTunes, Hardwood Knox. Go over to those ratings. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a review. Start really just going through your friends' and family's phones and subscribing uh, for them. They won't regret it. It'll be the best thing you do for them this year. Trust me. Until next time, though, we leave you with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson and absolutely, positively, no one else. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.